everyone. Thanks for joining us for um, this talk, which I've called Harassment and Bullying. Subtitle is Bad, so don't do it. By me, Simon Albert Joseph Robinson. Not the worst middle names. My uh, dad's middle names are Hector Love, um, apparently because um, the local vicar helped out um, my grandmother when, um, uh, when my dad was born, the Reverend Hector Love. So I won't, I've not asked too many questions on that. Um, anyway, so the training session today is for half an hour. There will be time for questions, uh, I would hope. If not, then we'll try and answer them uh, either individually, if there's not that many, or if there's loads uh, on a, on a Q&A uh, Q sheet. So one thing, just to give you some comfort before we go on, and you'll see the, the recent case, is that this training session will not involve me writing... Um, any derogatory words up on a board behind me and asking you to um, to shout out either privately or, or message me across words that you think are derogatory as well. So the, the case I'm talking about is a case of Breeza Georgia's. I won't name the company to spare the blushes. She worked there for three months and went to a training course on equality and diversity run by a member of the L&D team. This course had apparently by this point been run out 180 times already. So the claimant was the only um, uh, black person in a room of otherwise white delegates. And the trainer who was in the L&D team uh, wrote the N-word and the P-words in their full form on the flip chart and asked the delegates to shout, shout out the most derogatory and offensive words they could think of. Why on earth anyone thought that was a good idea is beyond me. And then what she did was put ticks to each offensive word that was shouted out more than once. And the N-word was shouted out three times, so there's three ticks next to it. So she said to the tribunal, the exercise was top and tail with an introduction and conclusion, and that she told the group the purpose is so that some people found certain words offensive and did not have the same impact on everyone. I'm not sure how that it needs to be spelled out that the N word is, is an offensive word. Um, so it just seems an absolutely appalling idea. Anyway, uh, what the, the company have now said is that they recognise that one of the training exercises was inappropriate and they have apologised wholeheartedly to the claimant. She won her claim of uh, harassment, racial harassment, for participating in the course, which left her feeling offended and uncomfortable. So if I do uh, nothing else in the next half hour, or I hope it's, it's that I don't leave you feeling uh, offended and uncomfortable. So, um, right, so the agenda uh, is, uh, we're going to talk about legal definitions, give you some examples of unlawful conduct, then how to protect your organisation um, from tribunal claims. And then hopefully, um, if I haven't blathered on too long, there'll be time for uh, questions. Um, so the three definitions, harassment, uh, sexual harassment, less favourable treatment for rejecting or submitting to harassment. Harassment is where A engages in unwanted conduct related to a protected characteristic and the conduct has the purpose or effect of either violating B's dignity or creating intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating, or offensive environment for B. Sexual harassment occurs where both A engages in a wanted conduct of a sexual nature, and the conduct has the purpose or effect of either violating B's dignity or creating an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating, or offensive environment uh, for B. And then there's less favorable treatment for rejecting or submitting to harassment, which is the previous bits, but also but because of B's rejection of or submission to the conduct, A treats B less favorably than A would treat B, 
it be had not rejected or submitted to the conduct. So uh, in all of those three cases, I've just talked about those three sections, there is no need for B to already made it clear that A's conduct is unwanted in order for it to uh, constitute harassment. There is no free go as such. In deciding whether the conduct has the effect referred to, the following three things will be taken into account. B's perception, the circumstances of the case, and whether it is reasonable for the conduct of that effect so as such as subjective test and element of objectivity. So what I would, the example I would give, I'll probably get people emailing me telling me I'm wrong, but the, the example I would give is if you send someone a Valentine's card in the office, it would seem to me that if somebody, if there's been no other harassment or no other um, negative relationship between the two of you, one um, Valentine's card, I think if a person claims to have been harassed by that i think we could talk uh, or i certainly my defense on behalf of the company would be that it wasn't reasonable for the conduct to have that effect if however the valentine's card was uh, filled with or had one of those crude images on the front uh, that you get i think it's scribbler is the shop that does hilarious cards but probably not for the workplace and um, if you got one of those or this was part of a pattern then then sending a valentine's card would would um would probably be harassment but in, in terms of a no free go something innocuous like that you might find that the, the counter def the defense from the respondent would be that it wasn't reasonable for the conduct to to have that effect okay so um a couple of things the fact that the employee has put up with the conduct for years does not mean that it cannot be unwanted so you don't get into a situation there's kind of an implied term that you can harass an employee. And one of the best cases of that is the Munchkin's Restaurant Limited uh, case. Uh, and in that case, what had happened was, uh, just because of the facts, that the, the owner um, uh, had made the female staff wear short skirts and they were subjected to a talk of a sexual nature. What they did, though, as a coping mechanism, was ask the manager about his love's life, uh, his love life, because they found it easier to handle. There'd been a assistant manager who'd been a a buffer between the two of them, whenever between sorry the two parties, and she went ill, and then um, within within three months of that, these waitresses, there was four of them, had all resigned in response to the the harassment. So um, the fact that they put up with this harassment for for years um, wasn't a, a sufficient defence for him to be able to argue that the part that the conduct was wanted. Um, in the AV Chief Constable B West Midlands Police. The EAT upheld the tribunal's decision that an employee had been sexually harassed for two days after an 18-month relationship with her work colleague had ended. So during the 18-month relationship, there was no harassment. But once the relationship had ended, then he embarked on a course of conduct which, which amounted to unwanted conduct and violated uh, her dignity at work. So he didn't get a free go just because they'd been in a relationship once. Once that had ended, then um, he wasn't able to, to harass her. Common sense, obviously. So bullying, um, which is distinct from harassment. So the ACAST guidance uh, says bullying is defined as offensive, intimidating, malicious or insulting behaviour. Uh, and it's an abuse or misuse of power through means that undermine, humiliate, denigrate or injure the recipient. So that's the ACAST definition. I think we could all know what what bullying is. Bullying isn't something that you would have as part of the it could be harassment under the Equality Act or discrimination under the Equality Act, but it's not something that the Equality Act uh, specifically defines. And bullying, of course, as well. So just on that point, whilst harassment has to be uh, one of the protected characteristics, bullying doesn't. You can you can 
bully someone for whatever reason. So things like uh, protected characteristics, uh, you know, tattoos, um, ginger hair, whatever, aren't protected characteristics. Uh, uh, so you wouldn't have a harassment claim on those or a claim under the Equality Act, but you could have a, a bullying, um, allegation of bullying. And I'll come on to what that would mean legally. So much like harassment claims, bullying is often in the eye of the beholder. One person's management, and we've probably all had this, is another person's bullying. Um, the key, I think, in that is, is as an organisation, to establish, uh, listen to the allegation carefully, and um, and then to decide whether the person who's referring to as bullying is either being uh, deliberately um, misleading, and they know it's not bullying, it's just trying to delay the inevitable, or whether there is some legitimacy in it that it could be um, bullying its poor management or whether it's just a, a, a misunderstanding between the parties. So legal claims, well there is no standalone claim to sue for uh, bullying and harassment. Um, bullying um, and harassment uh, claims to, and that's assuming there's non-protected characteristic, if the person's got over two years service then they could resign and claim constructive dismissal as a result of a fundamental breach of contract, or it could be the, the last in a, in a series of events. Or they could bring a claim for a personal injury, psychiatric injury, which would be required two or more instances of criminal style harassment. So just on that point, sorry, the harassment in the 1997 Criminal uh, Act requires a, a, a Prevention of Harassment Act, or Protection of Harassment Act, I forget, is, requires two instances for there to be harassment. There, it, there isn't a requirement for two instances um, in the Equality Act. One incident can be enough for, for harassment. Um, but I'll come on to that as well, because that's discussed by the courts. So the nine protected uh, characteristics are age, sex, disability, um, race, um, gender reassignment, religion belief, uh, sexual orientation, ma marriage, civil partnership, pregnancy and maternity. So it says ethnicity there, but it's, it's race. But, um, okay. So who can be liable? Um, well, the company can be liable, but in terms of, and for a constructive dismissal claim, it's only ever going to be the company. So typically, typically um, you would have uh, people there as witnesses if there's allegations of bullying that, that form part of a constructive dismissal claim. But if the allegation is one of harassment or indeed victimization or discrimination, anything under the Equality Act, you may find that you have individuals who are not just mentioned in the claim form, but are named as specific named respondents, which can have then an impact because they could be jointly and severally liable for any um, damages which are awarded. So as a, as a general rule, um, there's something called the statutory defense, which, which would mean that the employer would say, this manager was really in a frolic of his own or her own. We had got um, a policy in place which said harassment wasn't to be allowed. The manager attended that policy. Everyone attended training on that policy and knew about its existence. It was a living, breathing policy that wasn't just something we drafted in 1996 and shoved in a cupboard. People had come to training sessions and we can demonstrate that when people um, did uh, harass or commit any other offence under the Equality Act, they were dealt with um, uh, appropriately for, for any alleged uh, offence. So they could try and argue they've got something called um, the statutory defence. And so if you as an employee find that your employer, when an allegation like this comes in, says you better seek your own legal advice because you're employing the statutory defence, you, you've just been cut loose. And I, I can't think of, I think I think of one incident where that's happened in a case where we've been representing the respondent, where we tried to run that. 
so usually the respondent will 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 represent and pay for lawyers to represent everyone, the company and the individuals. If they don't, then it's because they've employed the statutory defence. And other employees can be named as well, um, other than just just managers. Okay. So unlawful conduct. Well, conduct on the grounds of protected characteristic, which is the purpose or effect of violating someone else's dignity. Well, it can be jokes, uh, comments, behaviour, isolation, or over-familiarity. That's not an exhaustive list, but that's the kind of um, the kind of thing that you can have. So um, that case there at the bottom where we've talked about Evans uh, v. Ex uh, exactly Corporation, in that case, he was called a, a fat ginger pikey. And he had got um, type 1 diabetes and associations with the, the travelling community. So um, he brought a claim um, for race and disability harassment, um, you know, because of these, these jokes. Now, unusually, um, in this case, uh, the, the company was able to, to successfully defend the claim because he was an active participant in the banter culture. So this wasn't a case where someone who in that previous case the, the restaurant case where the women in question were just trying to get by and weren't actually enjoying it it was uh, in this case this guy was part of this culture so just on that point just because you have somebody if they bring a complaint if other employees say they were laughing along with it that doesn't mean they were enjoying it other people will use the studies have shown Laughter on the case law should will we'll use laughter as a, a defense mechanism because they don't want to be the person in, a, in, a, in an office who says, or oh, actually, I don't find that funny because that can be more isolating. So they'll tend to, to, or can't laugh along with it. So, so being involved in it isn't automatically a get out of jail free card. It was different in this case because he was actively participating in it as opposed to reacting to jokes about him. Um, so Effect is more common than purpose. So it's the case law. It's rare where someone goes out of their way to violate someone's dignity. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's rare that comments are made with that specific overt purpose. Typically, it's the effect part of it where the comments have the effect of, of, of the person um, feeling violated in the workplace or having a violated workplace. Um, and uh, in that regard, then what the employer will do or what the tribunal will do is look at whether the effect that it's had is reasonable and that goes back to the test we uh, discussed um, at the beginning okay so this case of weeks v newham college of further education the eat made these observations on determining whether conduct has an effect created an intimidating hostile degrading humiliating or offensive environment for claimant and in that case the facts were that um the eat upheld the decision that a female employee had not been uh, subjected to sexual harassment by her colleague the colleague had used gender-specific terms in the workplace, such as girly chats and power-dressed women, and it circulated a cartoon showing an elderly woman's nipples being twisted by a pair of hands. But the EAT held that the tribunal had been entitled to find that the acts did not create the environment for the claimant. And there's various points there, which I think are of interest. Um, context, in the first point, context is all important. Context is key. So... The key with these things is you've got case law, you've got legislation, but it's a, it's very fact sensitive. So you've got to you've got to look at things on a case by case basis. These all the case law does is give you guidance, and um, context is all important. So in that case, the fact that the conduct was not directed at the claimant herself was a relevant consideration. Although that doesn't prevent conduct amounting to harassment, and will not do so in many cases. There was another case 
which I think I can talk about because I'm Irish, in case you haven't noticed. And this was a case called Bell v. Arla Foods. And this was an English employee's complaints of race and sexual orientation harassment. I won't go on the sexual orientation one. I'll leave off for now. But it was a joke made in the employer's newsletter. And the tribunal noted that although it was, it was referred to as the Irish joke, amounted to unwanted conduct, that the employee perceived to be offensive, the item was a one-off in otherwise unobjectionable magazine. The employer acknowledged that the joke was unacceptable and apologized immediately. And the joke, this is how offensive it was. So I'm sure I can say this. That the joke was, um, on the 1st of July, Ireland are going to have um, motorbikes and cars driving on the right-hand side of the road. If it all goes well, uh, lorries will follow on the 1st of August. The joke being that, you know. So I thought that was, that was right. But this, this guy um, complained about it to a tribunal and, and thankfully lost. So the context was, was key. Um, the timing of the objection has an evidential importance, although not placed too much weight on it, because where conduct is directed towards the sex of the victim, it may be difficult for her personally, socially, or culturally to make an immediate complaint perfectly understandable. So the fact that somebody might have waited uh, a time that you personally, as an investigator, wouldn't or don't think you would have waited doesn't somehow make the allegation less credible. You've got to look at everything. Um, the fact that gender-specific terms are used, uh, are each only used once over a lengthy period of time, would not, in an appropriate case, prevent such comments being seen to create the environment. However, it must be remembered that the word is environment, and an environment is a state of affairs. It may be created by an incident, but the effects are of longer duration. And the other point is the frequency of conduct is not irrelevant. If, this, if in this case, the terms in question were being used all the time, the tribunal's ultimate conclusion would have been expected to be different. So. I think that's a really useful um, list of things to to remember. Banter uh, uh, can cause issues when those making the comments uh, know uh, that what they're asserting is not true. So in English v. Thomas Sanderson Blinds, um, there was an allegation that colleagues had subjected him to innuendo about his sexuality despite being heterosexual, which his colleagues accepted. The judgment of the Court of Appeal ruled that true sexual orientation did not matter. The calculated insult uh, to his dignity, which depended not at all on his actual sexuality, the subsequent intolerable working environment, were sufficient to bring uh, a claim. So uh, the fact that he wasn't, to get my point, the fact that he, he wasn't gay didn't stop him successfully winning an orientation uh, claim. So conduct and harassment can be a one-off event and can also be discriminatory. This is a case where uh, the claimant uh, was har harassed. He was called a, a monkey during a golf match in which the business matters were discussed. And he was awarded over £2,000. So there's, you could arguably say, well, hang on, what about the earlier case where he said um, uh, frequency is not irrelevant? Well, frequency is not irrelevant, but in a case as clear-cut as this, you can see how a one-off incident would result in a payment. It doesn't matter that it didn't happen two or three times. So the injury to feelings award. So if um, you, a discrimination claim was brought and was won by a claimant, well then there's a lower band of £908,800, uh, it's for lower end discrimination. Middle band, uh, as you see there, where there's more serious and more frequent incidents of discrimination, and an upper band, but you know, in exceptional cases, awards can exceed forty-four thousand pounds. So those are bands, but they are not. Um, you, you're not limited to forty-four thousand pounds if, if a claim was was successfully brought. 
Okay. Uh, unfair dismissal, a basic award, the maximum of 15,240. There's a compensatory award there. And then you can get the dreaded order for reinstatement or re-engagement, which in, in the cases I've done, although I, of course I, I never lose, but whenever I've been picking up cases for colleagues who have lost, um, I've done a couple of these and both applications for uh, reinstatement or re-engagement um, failed because the trust and confidence had just gone from the from the company, so it wasn't imposed. But that is a that is a risk that you have somebody um, reinstated um, or re-engaged back in the business after they've been fired, which is never pleasant. And then you'd be concerned about how the relationship's going to work going forward. So time limits, as I'm sure you all know, three month time limit, but that's extended by the ACAS early conciliation period. There is discretion to allow um, out of time claims, and that uh, there is a different test for discrimination claims as there is for uh, unfair dismissal claims, but there is a discretion. So the fact that something's maybe one day out of time isn't necessarily fatal to mean that the claim isn't going to get heard. There'd have to be a hearing on it, but um, it's not necessarily um, for sure. Um, it should be, I should point out, the exception rather, exception to the rule is to let cases through when they're out of time. But I think any solicitors watching this will know that um, certainly in discrimination claims, uh, it's it's easier to get a claim in, especially um, if it's close to the actual actual deadline. And then acts extending over a period. So even if a even if an incident had happened um, seven, eight, nine, ten months ago, if that's part of an act extending over a period, and there's other incidents that lead up to the to the time limit, the most recent incident in time, then then that could be in time as well. You could have a whole series of events that are that are in time. So how to pick uh, your organisation? Well, uh, train staff. Robinson Ralph with very favourable rates. There is there, I will tell you, a, a case that we dealt with. This is absolutely true. And um, anyone who's seen me speak before will know about, about this case. That This was a, a, an employer. I won't tell you, obviously, the name of the employer, even the industry. This was an employer who'd got a chap in who had um, a sexually harassed a female member of staff and she had understandably complained. So it got to final written warning points uh, for 18 months and he was given uh, training on, on how, not, how not to sexually harass, which just seems to me laughable that somebody needs to be getting that training. But anyway, he got that training and uh, after the 18 months had passed, he uh, started to sexually harass her again so um, he's got over two years service and all that and um and the employer his, his defense to the employer was well i, I haven't been uh, trained <laughs> in 18 months on on not to sexually harass so the, the the logic from that must be that he needs to be trained every year and a half not to harass how not to harass otherwise he would harass anyway ultimately uh, that's a absurd excuse so he was um he was rightly fired for for gross misconduct no claim ever ever brought presumably because he didn't want to have to go home and tell his wife um uh, why he was being dismissed and and bringing a claim where all of his shenanigans would be would be very much in the public forum so but at a side you know do train staff about the legal implications but also what the culture is and it's for you to decide what your culture is as a business but if you leave this kind of um training and trying to instill this culture until too late i've seen organizations where i'm trying to advise them at their request, I should point out, on how to change the culture. And the longer you leave, the more difficult it is to change it. If you're starting from the beginning, 
and every new star that comes in is told, um, this is the culture, here's the training, and you communicate and enforce a zero approach tolerance to bullying or harassment of any kind, the culture will um, will sort itself out. But it requires it requires a company to actually do more than just grandstand on social media about what a great employer it is. It requires them to actually do something. And that might mean you have to fire your top earner or, you know, uh, the guy who's the most popular one in the office because they're um, sexual harassers or because they're bullies or they're racists um, or whatever. So there might be some decisions uh, made. And, you know, there's case studies or studies to show that the high earners can sometimes be the most detrimental to the business because they're getting away with blue murder just because they're, they're doing an actual good um, uh, job client-wise. Um, so investigate allegations raised promptly and appropriately. It shows that you take them seriously. Don't do, as I've um, had before, although this was a grievance, where somebody comes in for a grievance um, hearing and the manager starts reading the grievance in front of them and saying, what's all this about? That couldn't show any less respect um, if the person tried. So there is a phrase that you've seen on social media now saying, believe the victim, um, believe the victim. Is that right? No, 100% no. That is not legally justified. You take the allegation, you don't disbelieve the victim, but if you start on the preposition, or on the basis, sorry, of, of believing the victim, what you are saying is the person who, who's been accused is guilty on the basis of an allegation alone. That is not legally sustainable. You've, you've, you've got to investigate fairly. We had a case, and I'm going to give you very basic details, where an employer called me and said a member of staff had accused another member of staff of a very serious sexual offence, and the employer was referring to the person who made the accusation as the victim in the first phone call. And I said, no, you don't, don't use the word victim because you've already made your mind up then. Even if you don't mean to, subconsciously you have, you believe that because this allegation is so serious, it must be true. And it turned out after uh, some investigation that it hadn't happened. There had been some consensual stuff, but the, the person had, had panicked because of the relationship um, uh, they had with the other person in the office. I won't go into too much more detail, but anyway, it turned out that it, it hadn't happened. So. That's not to say that anyone who makes an allegation should be disbelieved. Of course, I'm not saying that. You take an allegation at face value, but you're innocent till proven guilty. This, the Twitter um, burden of proof just does not exist in tribunals. And if you run a case based on that, you will lose in tribunal. So investigate fairly. Put the allegations of the person. As you would with any other investigation, is there anybody else you need to uh, in, uh, investigate? Anybody else you need to interview? We do a cracking um, interactive training session on this which always gets positive feedback and it gets people in the group thinking about um, on a sexual harassment case it gets people in the group thinking about um, how they would would they uphold the grievance the complaint of, 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 of harassment or would they dismiss it and if so why so it gets them thinking about it and the purpose of those kind of sessions is always to make people um, know when they need to ask questions from HR as opposed to always knowing the answers which of course um, would be impossible it gives them makes them think so you would have disciplinary sanctions for breaching your a policy of no bullying and no harassment and um and then not only does this reduce the prospects of the claim and you've got a happy workforce everyone's engaged they know you're you're fair it opens the door to the statute of defense which i mentioned uh, earlier on right uh, i think that's everything sorry bear with me a second i've got some questions um uh, okay, so 
if an employee raises off the record confidentiality that they feel they're being bullied or harassed, but they do not want to take it forward or raise a formal complaint, where does the company stand? Take it forward as a duty of care? Yes, I would. Um, if, if somebody, you can't be, it seems to me, but you know, I'm open to be disagreed with, you can't seem to me at EHR that you're, um, you're a post box for a complaint where someone comes in and says, Sam, for example, over there, Sam Higgins is a terrible uh, racist. He's not, but I'm just giving you some example. He's a terrible racist, um, and he's made these racist comments, but I don't want you to investigate. Well, how, how can that possibly be right? Because then if, if it happens again, you knew about it and did nothing. And also you've got an obligation to that person because the question is, why don't you want to investigate it? Is there an issue if that you're scared of that person? Also, if someone's harassing or bullying them, chances are that person's doing it to other people as well. So I, I think you've got to say to the person, I get you don't want to dealt with, but we've got to go. I mean, you could talk maybe about having confidential witness statements. But you say we've got a duty of care to you and our members of staff to investigate it would be my, uh, would be my view. Um, how do they assess the injury to feelings of ward in terms of which band they place the case into? Well, um, that, that, so one-off incidents will be in the in the lower band where there's more incidents in the higher. So bas what basically happened is the two lawyers will argue about it in submissions if they've lost, if, if, if the claimant has won and the respondent has lost, where they will say these number of incidents makes it fall within this band or that band. And then the judge will decide this number of incidents. So the short answer is, one incident middle, more incidents or more serious, uh, sorry, one incident bottom, more incidents middle, the serious stuff is goes in the top, the top bracket. Um, uh, and then someone said English, in the English case, didn't receive any compensation. He was equally unpleasant when commenting on the appearance of female colleagues. Uh, he won the right to bring the claim, but lost. Well, fair enough. I mean, I, I get that point, but I think, I think ultimately, um, it depends what you perceive to be a win. Some people just want the finding, other people want the compensation, and people are entitled to bring a claim, um, to bring a claim to get a finding. So, but I, I take that point. So, thanks for that. Um, uh, sorry, with bullying claim, is there any reasonableness test to apply? As in, are they unreasonably taking offence? Yeah, I think that's exactly what I would do. So, you, you would you would look at it again and apply this objective test into is, is the person being uh for want of a better phrase hypersensitive to to what the what they're they're alleging is the is the bullying but it's all you know it's all fact sensitive these kind of answers are, i mean they're great questions so thank you for engaging but it's very specific so what i would say on, on any kind of specific basis is you would send it to your hr department or your lawyers and you would get a view based on the specific facts it would be dangerous i think for me or any lawyer to give you any specific answer to that other than um, look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay, is that, I think that's everything. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Sorry it was so um, quick, but there was obviously a lot to get, get through. So let me, if there's any questions, by the way, yeah, email me at simon.robinson at robinsonralph.com or you can give me a ring on uh, 07538, uh, hang on. <laughs> uh, 07538237920 and um and I'll try and answer your questions. Okay, thank you very much and um good bye.